Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today we're talking about energy bars, gels and powders used by runners as ergogenic aids. But are they necessary? Learn about how they may or may not enhance your running performance. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionist friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalized sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Everybody, welcome back. I'm Aileen and I'm here again with Karen. Um, so before we start our discussion today, we're going to just do our usual of sharing a little bit of something personal that's linked to our running and nutrition. So Karen, the question today is, do you ever find yourself using commercial bars or gels or powders uh, to support your running? And if so, what do you prefer and why? Yes, it is actually. Yes, that's a multiple question you're asking me there. Um, So actually, it's rare for me to use a commercial product. I would say I I prefer to sort of make my own or just use natural dried fruits and things like that. But there is the odd occasion where I find that I don't have anything prepared. And I do, I prepared, I do tend to have a couple of things in the cupboard just in case. Um, so if I haven't got any middle de- dates handy or I haven't made any flapjacks or something like that, I will, I will have something. And I do tend to, to go for bars, um, cause I just find that gels make me quite nauseous just because they're so sweet. Um, and I like oat based bars. So it does tend to be flapjacks. I like anything oat based actually. Um, so, so it does tend to be flapjacks that, that I make. Um, I do also use a protein powder, but that's really just to support, uh, optimal protein intake for my training, but just, um, generally anyway, being vegetarian, I just find that some days I can get to the end of the day and think, okay, so how much protein have I had today? And I find a protein powder is just a, a, a quick way for me to up that intake. So, so those would be um, my choices. How about you, Aileen? Would you, would, do you use them at all? Um, uh, a bit like you, rarely. Um, I have 
occasionally use gels, but I don't really like them. Um, I find they're too much of a glucose hit for me um, and they're a bit messy. I do use protein powders very regularly, mainly in smoothies, um, or I'll add um, protein powder as an ingredient. So quite like making homemade snacks like energy balls and you know, also I'll um, beef them up a bit with a bit of protein. Beefy nuts, probably not the right word if, if you were vegetarian. <laughs> I'll add some extra protein powder in, into an energy ball or, like you say, you know, a, a tray bar or that kind of thing yeah. if I'm making things at home. Mm. So, um, but yeah, there are some good products out there. I know we're going to touch on them today because our yeah. topic is all about energy bars, gels, and powders and um, learning how they can either enhance or, or maybe not enhance your running performance depending on what you choose so Karen to start with why do you think people tend to use these you know ergogenic aids we tend to think of them as being an ergogenic aid mm-hmm. so that what are the reasons that you would um, suggest yeah well I think there are there are actually many reasons why a person might use an ergogenic aid as you say so ergogenic aid just being the generic term for for utilizing something to support your your performance and that is ultimately the reason why people use them is for improving running performance and you know we're speaking about today about ergogenic aids um, being around foods but even your running shoes can be an ergogenic aid because they're, they're there they're, you're you're making a choice of something to support your um to support your performance so um so i think that's just an interesting point to add there aileen yeah yeah it's interesting so yeah. can we have a look at um bars and gels first because i think they're mm-hmm. probably the most popular um what would you say the performance effects So of bars and gels specifically, um, because they tend to be the more sort of glucose rich ones, so the sugar rich ones. So so really, the main reason people would use them for supporting performance is because um, they're going to provide that quick release carbohydrates. So so uh, so um, trying to maintain an optimal amount um, pre, during and post training actually is going to be one of the the key factors in using a gel or a bar. And and that linked into that, it's about replenishing the glycogen stores. So trying to keep them replete, but also replenishing them. Uh, and, and, and again, they're, they're all kind of linked. So, so with that, it's also going to aid recovery and, and recovery ultimately is going to support performance as well. And, um, and, and also when using them during, um, a, a run, it's about the energy, sort of that, that maintaining energy and increasing energy as well. And they're also thought to, through all these different factors, thought to help reduce um, that rate of perceived exertion. So sometimes for people, it's just about just act of using them is going to sort of help re- or potentially help relieve or, or, or that, that perception of how much effort you're being put into. It. And actually, there's been a lot of research um, in the past few years. I think most of the research was maybe around eight to 10 years ago about mouth rinsing. So, so basically not, not necessarily swallowing the glucose because they were looking at how can you sort of support energy 
without the digestive distress aspects of these bars and gels. So they looked at uh, mouth rinses and they found that just by putting the gel in the mouth or, or swirling it in the mouth, then spitting it out, that actually supported um, performance. And they think it's because of that sort of um, taste brain link and and also it, it's supporting that 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 um alleviating that perceived exertion so that effort um reducing that perception of effort does that make sense Aileen? yeah it does and mm. you do hear people particularly on long endurance races sort of feeling it's almost like a a comforting thing knowing that you've got those gels with you that you know that you'll be able to call on them if you need them yes. so i I can really identify with that. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the other thing, just sort of, and this is more with gels than bars, is that some of them um, contain electrolytes as well. So that's another reason people might sort of take them on board. And, and another way that they may, may enhance performance is by providing the electrolyte. Not all of them have electrolytes, but some of them do. Okay, so what what you really saying? If it's a if it's a good quality bar and gel, it can help enhance performance during a run, but also indirectly help support the recovery, uh, so that you're prepared for the next training session. Um, one of the things I did want to ask you about, Karen, was a, um, a little bit more about bars and gels because I've read about different carbohydrate blends. So, for example, that. Um, some gels would have a combination of glucose and fructose. And mm. um, the, the suggestion is that that might be better than a single base glucose gel. Um, could you just um, explain a little bit more about that to us? Yes, absolutely. And I think this is a really interesting area. Um, it is, it is a bit scientific. So I'll try and explain it as simply as I can. Um, but it, it all sort of started around 2004 when there was this landmark study done. And, and in the study, they were proposing sort of, um, utilizing the, the multiple, what they call multiple intestinal transporter mechanisms of carbohydrate. Um, so that you could, it, the so it could utilize or optimally, um, increase the absorption of carbohydrates from, from food. So, so basically what they were doing was they were in the study, they were giving individuals either glucose on its own or the equivalent amount, but split between glucose and sucrose. And then they were asking people to do, um, I think it was about 150 minutes of cycling. Mm -hmm. um, and, and both groups are cycling at 50% power. So trying to make it as unbiased as possible. And what they found was that, um, that the utilization of carbohydrate was significantly higher in that glucose sucrose group rather than just the glucose in itself. I see. So that's, um, that's really interesting that they did that. But why, why do you think that that was significantly higher in that group? Why, why does it make a difference? Yeah. So, so sorry, I didn't explain that properly, Aileen. So just going back to what I was saying, you know, they were proposing these multiple intestinal transporter mechanisms. So to try and break that down a little bit, it's, 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 
it, they, they found that glucose and sucrose is absorbed from the intestines using different transporting mechanisms. So, so what that means is if you've got, if you've got all this sugar, for example, coming in, but in two different forms using two different uh, mechanisms to absorb it, you're, you're in a way absorbing much more, more quickly rather than if it was just glucose where you've only gotten a certain transporter that can absorb them. Therefore, it's almost like there's a queue. Does that make sense? There's a queue waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, rather than the two different um, transporter me- mechanisms getting double the amount in, so that was the idea around around this. But but in more recent studies, so there was one um, done again in 2010. So it, it, what it showed was that um, you it, they were using glucose and fructose blend in a two to one blend to two to um of glucose to to one unit of fructose and um and that again they found that that it was utilized much more quickly because of two different forms of um of mechanism of absorption but but on saying that fructose isn't often used in ergogenic aids only because it has a high um potential to cause uh, digestive upset so it's not it, it's not often used although they find it in the studies okay so if um if somebody did want to try that I mean as ever we would always say uh, test it and get used to it and know that you you didn't have these sort of digestive problems um, with that type of product but if if somebody was looking for that type of product is that something you could identify in a label when you were choosing a gel and also if, if somebody wanted to try and replicate that with natural foods is that something that you would be able to advise them on how to do that yeah, great questions, actually, Aileen. Um, answering that first one regarding um, can you identify it on a label? Um, in some gels, yes, they do. It it is highlighted. I can't give you the names of any individual gels off the top of my head, but you do see you do see it on some of them that they're showing that it's a it's a combination of of different ones. Um, Yes, you could, you could replicate it naturally, um, by looking at the glucose and fructose contents of, of foods, because a lot of foods do can, do contain both. So you kind of be looking at, um, at, at what the percentage is. So that is a bit time consuming. Mm. Um, but I do, I do have, mm myself working with my clients i do have a list of different foods and what the glucose and fructose content is of those different foods and um and as and when or if necessary then we will work it out together so that we get that two to one formula Mm -hmm. if that's what my client's looking for it just depends where the client is and how detailed they want their, their their plan to be um and what the yeah what their goals are so it's not something that i do regularly with my clients but it is something that that we would look at yeah that's that's really interesting and i guess for people listening it's just another way of when you're buying a product or maybe reading somebody's website you can have a little bit more insight into what that means yeah. and, and know if it's something that you're interested in in trying out 
Um, so yeah, it's fascinating uh, mm-hmm. to know about this. Um, so we've sort of established the benefits, uh, the potential benefits of these sort of energy bars and gels. Um, uh, do you think there are any drawbacks to these products, Karen? Um, yes, I think there are. I think the 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 one that comes to mind immediately is the cost of them. <laughs> you know, these products don't tend to come cheap. And they are quite expensive, um, which may be okay if you're just using them now and again, if you're not regularly doing really long runs, um, but maybe just once a week or once every two weeks or whatever it may be. But for people who are constantly training for long distance um, marathons, ultras, they're going to be doing a lot of of, of sort of endurance runs, then that could become um, pretty expensive, actually. Yeah, I can imagine that. I haven't really thought about the financial impact, but as you say, you know, when somebody is training and they're doing it week in and week out, um, it can add up to quite a lot. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about. I, I was um, also thinking that there might be some uh, potential nutritional drawbacks to these products, uh, particularly for the potential of added sweeteners, but maybe we could, um, talk about that in a minute because I'd like to just take a little advert break as we usually do at this point. Um, so yeah, at this point, we usually just help like to share with um, everybody who's listening um, something about um, what Karen and I do outside of the, uh, the podcast. Um, so the podcast is sponsored by um, our business uh, Runners Health Hub, and that's where Karen and I offer a range of services to help you be a fitter, faster and stronger runner. Um, We'd love you to take a look at our runner's nutrition zone, um, which is an area on our website that hosts our online program. And there you'll find lots of short videos, recipes and downloads, as well as invitations to some live sessions with us where we help you put easy nutrition into practice. Um, so you can find all the details about the, um, the runner's nutrition zone at runnershealthpub.com. Um, so we'll hope you you will be able to take a look at what we do there. So so thanks, Karen, for for giving me a minute just to explain that. Um, so can we just go back to thinking about these potential nutritional drawbacks of the gels and bars? Yes, absolutely. So I think one of the first things to say is that they're incredibly uh, sweet. And for some people, that can be really sickly or um, it is maybe OK at the beginning, beginning of a run. But as the run goes on, our taste, our taste buds change, our digestive system changes and they can then um, become really nauseating. And um, but also a lot of the commercial gels do contain artificial sweeteners and flavorings, actually. So, for example, the likes of sucralose and aspartame, and quite often they'll have sugar in there, but they'll also have the artificial sugars. So, um, and, and, and that's what, what makes them incredibly sweet. And I think we have actually spoken about this in a previous episode as well, Aileen. So anybody wanting to know more could, could, um, review those. But sort of looking at other potential detrimental aspects of um, gels and bars, there is the fact that some of them contain caffeine. Now, that might be positive for some people because 
caffeine is very well researched in its uh, performance enhancing properties. Um, but for other people, again, it can cause nausea, potential vomiting and digestive, digestive distress in, in, in different ways. So that's something to, to really be aware of. And like you were saying earlier, Aileen, about that practice and training, that would be really, really important to see if it was going to cause any effects. So, um, so yeah, so, and as well as the caffeine causing, um, digestive distress, other aspects of the, the these, some of these commercial gels can lead to, di lead to, to sort of digestive issues, be that the fact that they've, they're just really sweet, um, or the artificial sweeteners and flavorings that are put into them. And also they can lead to weight gain if it isn't, if the intake isn't being managed around the, the, um, the expenditure of energy, they can, because you see people sort of every 15, 20 minutes having another one. And for some people that may be important, but for some, it's maybe not necessary. It depends how far you're going, how fast you're going, all of these different things that need to be taken into consideration. And also, um, the artificial sweeteners are known to, to, to potentially lead to weight gain as well. So I think there are some drawbacks to these, to mm. these products as well as, as, um, as advantages. Yeah. So again, it's like looking at the whole picture as ever, isn't it? And thinking mm. about you as an individual and also, um, what your running and training goals are. But, you know, for a lot of runners, um, they use, um, running to manage their body composition. Um, so it's interesting that you've mentioned there about the potential for, for weight gain because maybe they're not considering the, the calorific intake and the effect on, um, you know, blood sugar balance, et cetera, as part Absolutely. of, the, um, as part of taking these on. And, and sometimes people forget that, you know, they are part of your food intake, <laughs> you know, yes. so, uh, um, you know, there's uh, lots of different ways of looking at that. So, mm -hmm. and you are correct. We did talk in quite a bit of detail about, um, artificial sweeteners in flavoring. And it was actually on the, um, more recent episode on hydration, which we'll put a link to in the show notes. And as part of that hydration episode, we talked about energy drinks. Um, yeah. and there was quite a bit of a discussion about all these artificial sweeteners and flavoring so if anybody wants to listen more uh, go back to that episode so um moving on uh can we talk about protein powders now uh so or before we talk about protein powders i just wanted to quickly ask you have you got any recommendations for the um, commercial bars and gels that you would recommend so that you know they're, they're good quality and people can feel assured that they're um, reputable yeah. products Yes, absolutely. Because we've spoken about the detrimental effects of, 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 um, some products, but I do think there are some good products out there, some natural products. And I think in, in more recent years, there have been more and more come onto the market, which is great to see, you know, for us as nutritional therapists, it's really great to see that, that there are a, a lot more natural products being produced now to support um, people on their, on their sport. So ones that, um, that I would recommend and I recommend to my clients where, where necessary are products um, such as Honey Stinger and Vela Forte, Tailwind. Now, quite a few of these, um, you, 
you can only get online. So that's worth bearing in mind. Um, it, they have to be ordered online. The, the likes of Honey Stinger, I haven't ever seen those in, in any sports shops or anything. Um, Tailwind, I think you may be able to find them in specialist running or cycling shops. The same with the Velo 40. And there's another one called Raw Velo. So fairly by the names, they were, they were sort of produced for cyclists. So for endurance cyclists, but they're still relevant, um, for, for, for runners as well, because they're, they're, they've been produced for the same purpose. Um, Huma gels. Actually, that's one gel that I, I would consider, um, not being a gel person myself, but, but the Huma one is really lovely. It's not gloopy. It's easy to, to for intake and digest. And it's got a small amount of chia seeds in there as well, sort of for, um, for added, added protein. So a good one either before or after, um, a race. Um, and then Sun Warrior, which maybe quite a lot of people will have heard of because they're quite popular now. Um, but how about you, Aileen? Do you, do you have any recommendations outside of those? Um, well, I like Sun Warrior as a brand. Mm. Uh, they tend to be quite expensive, but they're top notch quality. Um, yeah. so I tend to like them. Um, I don't really use any of the gels, to be fair. Um, but as an alternative, I would sometimes use the Ella pouches, you know, so that's yes. the fresh, uh, you know, the, it's not fresh fruit, but it's fruit that has been, so you get mango and you get pear and things like that. So they're sort of an alternative to an, a gel if you're looking for something natural. Yeah, that's a good point, Aileen, because I'd forgotten about them. But the Ella's Kitchen um, products are really good. And I do tend to to actually use them sometimes myself, not often, but I will use them. And um, and and I try and get my clients to move on to those, trying to get some of my male clients to go down the kiddies aisle to pick up some of Ella's Kitchen gels um, can, can be a bit of a humorous conversation. But um, but the ones who have moved on to them have been really surprised um, at just how good they are. So, uh, so thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, and you know, you can just about buy them everywhere now. Mm. Um, see them in lots of different places. So um, they are really popular. So I think they're maybe getting to be um, more of an adult brand as well. Yes. Okay, so now can we now can we look at the protein powders? So um, any thoughts on protein powders and what their ability is with regards to just supporting performance, Karen? Yeah, so um so before we actually speak about the protein powders themselves, what I would just like to say is really that that most people should actually be able to attain an adequate and optimal intake of protein from their diet as long as they're eating um a healthy diet and eating it um eating a healthy diet consistently. So I think that would be what um what I would I would stress initially. But I do think that protein Powders do have a place and they may be necessary for certain groups, including the likes of myself. I'm saying earlier, I take, I take a protein powder because I'm a vegetarian um, and also vegans as well. Um, but also for people um, returning from illness or injury, be them a, a, a runner, an athlete or not, you know, protein powders, I do think um, have a place. Mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. Um, so I think it's probably just a good idea just to remind ourselves of what the uh, optimal protein foods are you know the foods that are high in protein um so meat poultry and fish obviously eggs um and then going down the the 
vegetarian, vegan route, thinking about legumes, so beans, uh, peas and lentils, nuts and seeds, grains, uh, some of the grains have some protein in, and then things like the fermented products like tofu and tempeh. So there, there are lots of different ways you can get protein, and I think it's really making sure that you eat a variety of different proteins. I think that is key to you know, a good, as you say, you know, good healthy diet, make sure you're getting a wide range. And the reason for a wide range is to make sure that you're getting a wide range of amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein. So if we can just sort of link it back, Karen, to the protein powder question, um, in what ways and why should a runner consider taking a protein powder? Yes. Um, yeah, Aileen, I think, I think also the importance of protein intake for a runner is generally over, is, is often underestimated because most of when we speak about protein intake, it's mostly about sort of the, the bodybuilders. Um, but, and also with running, it, it tends to be more the emphasis is on the carbohydrate intake. But it has many performance enhancing properties and I think is really important for a, for, um, a runner, mainly because of uh, muscle repair and also muscle protein synthesis. So that production of muscle protein, because running is catabolic. So it breaks down muscle. So, so we need the protein to help build that muscle back up again. Um, it's also, I think, important for helping to reduce the risk of injury and also that delayed onset uh, muscle soreness, DOMS as we, as we know it, that can, if, if, if protein is optimal, it can help reduce the possibility of, of, um, suffering from that because that can be quite painful and last quite a long time. Um, and it's also good for um, enhancing efficient recovery for training. So, and especially if people are l- running long distances on consecutive days, or if they're um, they're training twice in a day, uh, I think sort of just making sure protein is optimal for those reasons. But the other the other thing is that uh, um, it's Protein's really important for the mitochondria in our cells. So the, the mitochondria in our cells are our energy powerhouses and they're found in, in every cell. And running, especially distance running, is known to drive an increase in, in uh, mitochondria to make us more efficient, to make us um, better, longer distance runners. However, Protein is the building block for that. It's the substrate that's needed to drive the, the 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 production of more mitochondria so that's another reason and um, that it's really important but but also you know as a as a an in, as an endurance uh, runner um they're going to stimulate whole body protein turnover in every way therefore an adequate or optimal really intake of protein is going to be required for all the metabolic processes that are going on all the time. Mm. So, so lots, as you can see, lots of reasons really for protein to be an important part of a runner's, uh, a, and especially a distance runner's uh, daily diet. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? So there's like, you know, it's, it's all about building muscle. It's about repairing and recovery. Uh, powering the energy as, as you said through the mitochondria um 
but also taking it into account the demand on the body just by being a distance runner. Um, so, uh, yeah, really, uh, you can really hone in on why it's so important to have enough protein. And I think the other thing that I just pick up on what you said there, Karen, was that uh, it's really important to keep up with the demand that the body is asking for protein. Um, so when you were saying right at the beginning of the conversation that sometimes you feel that maybe in, on a particular day you haven't taken on what your body requires, that's where you can really use protein powder as, a, as an extra tool um, in your nutrition um, you know, bag to be able to use that to increase your protein uptake. Yeah. Um, and I, I was just thinking um, about an example of a friend of mine, actually, she's a Pilates teacher. She runs her own studio. So she's like doing a lot of exercise day in and day out. And a few months ago, she started to increase her protein intake and really noticed that, that DOMS disappeared. Um, mm. And it was quite a revelation to her. And she was sharing it with all her clients. And I noticed she was writing about it. Um, so um, just another example of how yeah. it um, and just another thing to mention to everybody, we we did talk about protein in a recent episode, which was about macronutrients. Um, so again, if you want to go back and listen to that, um, we go into Karen explains a little bit more about some of the things that she just mentioned there. Um, it's a good recap. So again, we'll put that link into the show notes so you can find that. So, um, next question. So the next question is all about uh, brand chain amino acids. So you maybe people have heard about those. Um, I mentioned earlier that um, proteins are made up of uh, a range of amino acids and they're the building blocks of protein. So, um, you know, just like we talk about carbohydrates and the different types of carbohydrates there are, um, it's the same with proteins. Um, some we um, can produce, but some we must get um, from our diet. And um, the, the branch chain amino acids are really important. Um, and there's um, particularly three of these amino acids that everybody needs to be looking out for. And they're leucine, um, isoleucine and valine. Um, so, Karen, can you um, give us a bit of an overview about these branch chain amino acids and why they're particularly important? Uh, yes yeah. yeah absolutely so they they do um like you were saying earlier alien you know they they are um they're well publicized and marketed um in certain products um in the shops and they are really really key for i think all athletes um but certainly for runners as well and the some of the reasons that they are so important is because they actually make up 20% of total amino acids in our muscles and 40% of total body protein is found in the muscle so it's a high amount that um that that is found the branch chain amino acids make up a, a really high amount over over muscle and and they are the ones, those three are the ones that are preferentially utilized during sport. That they're, they're um they're the fast reacting ones. Um, um so so they're going to be utilized more quickly during sport. 
and also and, and linked to that, they are the triggers for um, stimulating muscle protein synthesis. So that muscle building, they, they are the key ones. Now, leucine is seen as the master trigger um, of, of that cascade. Uh, but the, all the three of them are really important for for building building muscle, basically. So I suppose what you're saying there, Karen, is if you if you're low on those um, amino acids, then your body's not going to respond to this muscle building uh, process. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, and that's when potentially you're going to get the DOMS, mm. uh, and 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 also uh, be at higher risk of injury as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so it's interesting how it all links together, isn't it? Um, mm. so what else do the branch chain amino acids do? Yeah, so linking into that again, I suppose it's about it, it's reducing that exercise-induced breakdown of, of protein. So especially for runners, it's such a catabolic process or a catabolic sport, really, linked to to muscle. So, um, so, so having optimal amounts of protein is going to help reduce the the speed maybe of of the breakdown of protein um and and again we've spoken about um the 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 doms so that it's thought that if if you can have some of the protein um before going out for the run so we've spoken in the past about the pre during post nutrition and in that pre training stage making sure that there's some protein in there with the carbohydrates that you're having before you set out in your run that's going to really sort of help delay that on uh, that um, onset of soreness and um and and it, it enhances recovery i think i mentioned that earlier it's really important for enhancing recovery especially if you're doing a double session um or sort of um doing two consecutive long runs in in two days now we do know that that muscle protein synthesis occurs sort of a, a follow following one um one bite of exercise muscle protein synthesis will carry on for about 24 hours afterwards and there is some talk of it lasting up to 48 hours but i think uh, studies into that and research into that it's all quite new and novel so i'm not sure about that at the moment but certainly there's enough evidence to suggest it will carry on for 24 hours but it's going to be at its most optimal in that first sort of few hours so having the protein before having the protein afterwards is going to really support that that recovery process um and i think another really important point to 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 make here is that branch chain amino acids are broken down predominantly in the muscle so they've come into the body as a protein they're broken down into the amino acids and then they're used to to build muscle again and a lot of these processes have to go through the breakdown processes have to go through the liver first so a lot of the amino acids have to go through there and then to muscle whereas with branch chain amino acids they go directly to the muscle where they're broken down and then they start to build up again so so that's why it supports that quick activation mm. So, yeah, it's like you can really see some powerful reasons for looking at having these branch chain amino acids um, as part of your nutrition plan. Mm. Um, I was also thinking there about you know, the nutrient timing, you know, and how important it is to have those um, you know, 
meals and snacks timed correctly so that you're you're getting the right uh, the right ingredients if you like going into into the body at the right time um so i think when most people think about the branch chain amino acids they think about wanting to increase muscle mass like the bodybuilders that you mentioned earlier um and as you said you know correctly karen a lot of there's a lot of marketing around bodybuilding and branch chain amino acids and we might not think that they're appropriate but i think from what you've said here today you can really see the the role uh with runners so um mm. it'd be interesting to find out how people use them yes um so so um just to sort of summarize there so what we're saying is the branch chain amino acids does make up 20 percent of amino acids in our muscle uh, so that's why it's really important that we include them in our, our food plan and our diet mm-hmm. um and the other sort of key point was that it's really really important in driving muscle protein production so that's really key for building strength and we all want to be strong as runners mm-hmm. um so just as earlier you know i asked you for some recommendations on the jars uh, on the bars and gels um do you have any recommendations for protein powders karen um yes so um yeah quite there are quite a few good ones out there clearly with protein powders you get all these bulk bulk powders and the qualitative quality of them is very very poor the bioavailability of the actual amino acids that are in there is very very limited but there are some really good products out there they may be slightly uh, more expensive but i do think that um that that you're getting more of the the raw materials that we want from the products and one we mentioned um sun warrior earlier they do the they've just recently moved into the bars actually and um, but they do they do um protein powders as well and i think that's what they're they're mostly well known for um but other products pulsin is a very well known um product and they do both the whey and the the vegan or vegetarian options as well um other companies are um the likes of creative nature purition purple balance uh, um two that i use um a lot both for myself and with clients they are whey based so not suitable for um for vegans, but the organic protein company is very good and Motion Nutrition. So Motion Nutrition has, they produce their products especially for, um, um, athletes. So they have, they've done a lot of research into it and their product is really good. Um, they do a, a natural, way so it's unflavored which is great they do a couple of flavors as well and then i think they do have some vegan options as well but it's the way it's the way that i tend to use mm. so quite a yeah. link there people can mm, yes and, and yeah. do you know if any of the um the products that you've mentioned do they contain um branch chain amino acids uh, yeah, well, I know that um, Motion Nutrition, yes, because it's been specially formulated for for the athletes. So they've, they've thought about the amount of branched chain amino acids that are contained within the product. Um, the others advertise themselves as having the complete range of amino acids in there and the essential amino acids. So there will be branched chain amino acids in there, but maybe not not at the optimal level for a runner. So they'll be um, sufficient, but 
not not maybe optimal levels. I'm going to apologise for that bang, but I have got my dog in the room and she's just fallen. She's just sort of tripped over the wire, oh. so she's made she's made my mic topple over. So I apologise to everybody. She's always very good. She she puts on all of our podcasts actually. Uh, and she's always as good as gold. <laughs> so. Yes, she is generally, but uh, but today she's got tangled up in the wires and pulled it over. So I do apologise for that uh, interruption there. She's the most educated dog that you could ever meet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I tried. About nutrition. Yes. Karen's not in, just call Bella. She knows everything. That's <laughs> right, exactly. I'm sure she's taking it all in. <laughs> Okay, so we all settled? <laughs> yes, I think we're back on track. So so yes, I was just speaking about motion nutrition and um and the other and the other products that will have branched chain amino acids but maybe not at the optimal levels. Um so so just sort of moving it back to you, Aileen, do you have do you have any sort of products that you use with your clients or on yourself, any protein powders? Um, well, I think, you know, alongside the ones that you've mentioned, Karen, when I'm um, thinking of my clients, I'm considering other aspects as well. Uh, you know, their dietary preferences, you know, are they a, ve- are they a vegan? Um, do they have any intolerances? Um, so that that's part of the, um, you know, the choice um, decision, if you like. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also, uh, you know, quite keen to advise them um to choose um, things that are free of sugars and added sweeteners and other additives. So sometimes people come to me and they'll, they, you know, they'll say, oh, I'm on this, you know, protein powder and it all sounds very sexy. And you say to them, can you send me a copy of the label and we'll get a photograph. And then you think, oh, it's not actually very supportive when you see what's on the label. So that's, uh, you know, and they are expensive. That's the thing, you mm. know, spend a lot of money on these. So usually what I would say is, use them up and then we'll move on to uh, something that's going to be more supportive. Uh, personally, I tend to go for the unflavored versions, um, so the natural um, versions, mainly so that I can add either my own uh, savory or sweet addition. So, you know, if I'm making a smoothie, I might want to add some fruit or cacao powder or even things like ginger or cinnamon to get some uh, sweet flavoring. And then I might have a green smoothie or add some protein powder to a savory dish or a recipe to boost that protein um, uptake. Um, I particularly, a good tip would be, you know, even if you don't want to buy Sun Warrior, if you subscribe to their mailing list, they always have great recipes and great ideas for using protein powder. Um, so they're a good one to to try. Mm. I like Pulsin as well. If, if You know, Sun Warrior is my one of choice. Pulsin um, is a good um, economic version. You know, it's really good quality, but it's a bit more affordable. Um, so, you know, I, I tend to mix and match, really. Um, and all of them do have flavoured versions. Um, so if you want it quick and easy and you know that you always like chocolate or you always like strawberry, then go for a flavoured version of a good quality um, I just think if I have natural, then it's like it goes with everything. So that, that's mm. my sort of uh, advice, really, to think about protein powder. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, so just before we go on to the sort of final takeaways, Karen, um, are there any female factors relating to any of these products that we need to consider as, as female runners? Um, I think overall... 
No, I think the advice um, and effects would be very similar for men and women with all of these products. Maybe, again, depending on what your goals are, it's about considering how much carbohydrate and protein you require in line with your body composition and training requirements. So like you alluded to earlier, Aileen, it's about, you know, making sure that the you're not taking on more than you actually need because that's going to lead to weight gain, especially if your goal is is weight loss. Because you were saying, you know, a lot of people use their running as a way of controlling body composition. So it could be that they're trying to do that through their exercise and their general everyday nutrition. But if they're taking on too many of the gels, they're taking on too much of the protein powders, then that's not going to be supportive of what the principal goal is. So there's that aspect of it. Um, and that, and, and sort of we're looking at that from a, a female factor, but that, but that could actually, um, be be important for 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 males as well the other thing that i think um regarding women and the female factor is that if somebody is pregnant or is considering becoming pregnant then just being mindful of the quality of the pro- product that they're choosing like we've just spoken about regarding the sweeteners the additives the flavorings all these things and try and just purchase the most natural one that they can um and 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 I and and I would go back to what I said in the beginning and and I would really encourage the mantra that food comes first um for for people who are for women who are thinking about getting pregnant but really for everybody you know food does come first and then then the protein powders and the 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 gels and bars are additional if required Great. That's a great point to end on, Karen. Um, so can we now have a roundup of your key takeaways for today's episode? Yes. Yeah, so, um, so looking at the bars and, and gels, it's about, we've given, we've given, um, everybody some ideas of the more natural ones that they could utilize if they want to use a, a commercial product. And I think it's about trialing them, um, during training to discuss, to discover which one they prefer and which one suits them. Um, Thinking about buying the most natural one available and affordable to, to the individual. That's really important. And just always read the labels. Make that a general r- rule of thumb. Um, and, and also another general rule of thumb really is that the more ingredients there are, the less natural they are likely to be. So just thinking about if you, cause quite often with these, with many products, not just bars and gels for sport, there's just a whole list of ingredients so that in itself is just maybe an indicator that it's not going to be that natural so so um just bearing that in mind always practice with products um during training so that when you're going into race day you're comfortable with it it works for you it doesn't cause nausea or any digestive symptoms um Never think about introducing a new one on race day because you just don't know what that might lead to. And um, and when you're practicing with them, just observing for any digestive issues at all that you're having and, and just looking at changing the products um, as, as you go through your training, like I say, to find the, the right one for you. And what, are, and also consider making your own, like you and I were saying at the beginning, what we, 
what we are doing now, Aileen, um, uh, it is about sort of thinking about um, making your own, maybe making a batch on a Sunday so that that will keep you through, keep you going through your training during the week. There are lots of really great recipe books out there looking at um, uh, recipes for sport as well. Um, so people could think about finding a great recipe book and also thinking, are they actually necessary for what your goals and your your achievements, your running achievements are? So, um, so, so thinking about the distances you're running and your goals, are they, are they really necessary? And if not, don't use them. And always remember that food comes first. Excellent, Cara and Bella. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> yes. Um, to uh, just to round off, just a reminder that we always say is don't let nutrition be your limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.